0: Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and
1: changemakers
0: on their journeys.
1: The way we often think about the world in terms of developed versus developing and Uh, rich versus poor that there are a lot of stereotypes and assumptions built into that which are frankly untrue and and at times quite damaging part of the process for us has been saying no even when the market even when sort of consumer demand is pointing one way we've had to have the sort of courage or maybe stubbornness or stupidity but to say no we're not just gonna the customer is not always right, and we're not just going to sort of give people what they want. Because in this case, what people want is a very often a short-term, sentimentalized, feel-good, voluntarism opportunity that's not grounded in any real intellectual reflection or authentic relationships.
0: I'm very pleased today to introduce Willie Oppenheim. Willie is founder of UmpraCash Foundation, a U.S.-based international nonprofit set up in 2005. Um, Omprakash is a free online platform that connects grassroots health, education and environmental organisations in over 30 countries with a global audience of volunteers, donors and classrooms that can learn from and support their work. Um, Omprakash is built on the idea that positive social change begins with human relationships. Well, thank you very much, Willie, for taking the time today to speak to inspiring social entrepreneurs. I'm looking forward to talking to you about Umprakash and the work that you're doing.
1: Thank you so much, Virgo. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So tell me a little bit about Umprakash and uh, where the initial idea came from and how you got it off the ground.
1: Sure. Um, So there are several kind of overlapping aspects of Omprakash, but the basic idea is very simple. It's about connecting people who want to volunteer or intern abroad with organizations that are looking to recruit volunteers or interns and the idea for that really came out of my own experience in 2003 I was in high school and looking for an opportunity to go volunteer abroad and was really frustrated to find that almost everything that turned up on the internet uh, was a expensive highly chaperoned highly structured usually a group trip uh, where a middleman was sort of arranging a relationship between myself and a host, and there was no way to directly connect with social impact organizations on the ground, and so it just occurred to me, oh, it would be great to uh, create a simple website where individuals and organizations could connect directly without the middleman, uh, and that, that was really the initial insight through which Om Prakash emerged. Great. So I suppose on the one
0: hand, you have people like yourself who want to work with these organizations, and um, I, I can see straight away how that would, you know, help to be able to be put in contact with them. But I suppose on the other hand, uh, on the other side of the, the coin, the, these organizations uh, probably have quite specific needs, and it for them, it's very important that they're getting the right kind of volunteers, I suppose. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean... Uh, It's very interesting, and and I think it gets to the heart of of maybe what we'll be discussing throughout this conversation in terms of some of the the different challenges and opportunities that have sort of shaped Amprakash. But, um, you know, to understand the work of Amprakash, we have to understand a little bit about the broader sort of industry of what many would call voluntourism, where basically people pay something uh, to go abroad and have some kind of a service experience. Um, now, in the worst case scenarios, we can imagine very exploitative setups where none of that money makes it back to the host organization. But there certainly are a number of models where the host organization makes money and then uses that money to you know pay for their operations. Um, and in that sort of paradigm, one could say, you know it's not that important it, it's not that big of a deal if the volunteers aren't making that big of a difference because basically, they're having a organization is still making money um, and becoming self-sustaining you know to pay their teachers or to keep the lights on or whatever. So it, it's all good. And I suppose in my mind, although I I recognize that sure, in some cases that model might work well for everyone, but as your question uh sort of hinted at, there are a lot of cases where a host organization might be looking to recruit some very specific skills. Um, for perhaps a longer amount of time, and in that case, the existing sort of paradigm of voluntarism doesn't really uh, doesn't fit the bill. It doesn't actually help the organizations meet their needs, and so indeed, a, a big part of the focus for Omprakash is not just okay, let's you know create. Uh, opportunities that are going to be fun for volunteers but really it is at the end of the day all about our partner organizations being able to use our site to recruit the skills that they need.
0: Great. Great. Because I suppose um, what you're hinting at here is a broader issue as well and the the whole volunteerism market. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, on the face of it we see a a lot of it around particularly gap year students in the UK. But more broadly, uh, you know, there's a tremendous willingness and, and enthusiasm, particularly for millennials, but younger people to 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 make a difference and to work and help, uh, you know, social impact organizations around the world.
1: Right. So uh, I could say a lot about this and I'll try to keep my comments somewhat brief. Um, but the uh, firstly, I'll just say there's a lot of efforts to play this kind of semantic game where you say, oh, well this is volunteerism but this is service learning and this is an internship and this is volunteering but in some ways I think those distinctions obscure more than they elucidate because I think the larger trend that we're really talking about here is people generally young people from more privileged contexts let's call it the global north who want to go to the so-called global south or you know so-called developing countries and do some kind of good and with under that broad description there's a ton of different stuff that goes on but a lot of it is complicated by similar challenges which is basically you've got people who are coming for a relatively small amount of time with generally not a whole lot of contextual understanding and they have very good intentions but uh... it's hard to make the kind of difference that they might want to make in that time and meanwhile we have a sort of mainstream narrative that anyone who is a nice person and wants to help and you know considers themselves a global citizen is by default positioned to go and and do good and i think that narrative is is just flatly untrue for all kinds of reasons uh... so what ends up happening i think is that um, you know expectations are not aligned with reality and then on top of that you have this emerging industry, which whether it's being driven by nonprofits or for-profits, the point is there are still, uh, there's money being made and there are incentives that go along with that and our analysis is that the outcome of a lot of this stuff is um, people end up paying in one form or another to do some kind of volunteering or internship or service learning or whatever you call it and very often the outcomes are suboptimal, both in terms of the impact they have on the organization and in terms of their own learning. And so Om Prakash has set out to really change that, to move around those incentives a little bit so that hopefully the host organizations benefit more, they get more highly skilled and more impactful volunteers, the individuals benefit more, um, and at the end of the day, everyone walks away having, having had a more robust learning experience. Right. That makes a lot of sense. What's
0: the scale of your operation though, Willie? Willy and, and tell us a little bit about how you've grown the business?
1: Sure. So at the moment, we have about 170 partner organizations uh, spread out across over 40 countries. These organizations are totally autonomous. They have all applied to join our network over the years. Uh, we started in, in 2004 um, with just a handful of organizations in India. So you can see that the the scope of the network has really grown a lot. Uh, and those partners do everything. You know, They work in education, health, uh, some of them are sort of micro, um, microfinance or sort of small business incubators. There's a, a wide range of partners. And then, meanwhile, we have about 16,000 registered volunteers. Um, and then, within that, there's a subset of about 150 volunteers per year. Who are signing up for our EDGE program? And EDGE is our online learning program where we really train volunteers, and it, it's basically our premium product and, and our main revenue engine. Um, but so a subset of volunteers sign up for this EDGE program, and those are the volunteers that we focus on the most kind of giving them the training and really trying to prepare them to be as impactful as possible. Um, on, another metric is. Our partners have the option of using our website as a fundraising platform, uh, and they're able to benefit from our extremely low transaction fees, as well as our tax-deductible status for their donors. So over the years, our partners have raised over $5 million via Amprakash, and we're seeing those numbers increase quite, quite dramatically in recent quarters. So that, that gives you a scope, you know, about 165 partners, 15,000 volunteers, $5 million of, of donations.
0: Wow, that's that's great work, and um, you mentioned your your I guess your revenue engines or or how how you you know bringing money into the company. Are you a for profit or are you non for profit? And um, can you talk a little bit about how your 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 uh, thoughts about raising uh, or, you know, having generating revenues have have
1: changed over time? Sure. Uh, so we are legally a non profit. We have at various points considered spinning off the edge program into a for-profit entity and that conversation remains alive but i would say until it appears immediately valuable or necessary to do so we don't really see the reason to do so um, we have really gotten by and and reached where we are with a very scrappy approach and i say that with a little bit of pride but also a little bit of sort of mild embarrassment because i recognize that a lot of the decisions i made twelve years ago when i was starting this whole thing were in some ways naive, but you know, that's, that's life. Um, but what I mean by that is rather than go about trying to raise money right from the start so that we could sort of launch with paid employees and a really nice website and everything. We basically for the first few years just operated on the classic, you know, super, super lean startup model where no one was getting paid. We were pretty much doing everything in house. And our annual budget was literally a few thousand dollars, um, and so for that reason, you know, we were a nonprofit, and it was just easier to um, solicit donations from us, our own personal networks, than it would have been to go out and try to raise capital and kind of um, present the whole thing as a a you know for profit enterprise. At that point, it was really just like a small nonprofit that was like, "Hey, donate what you can, and let's keep this thing going." And then at a certain point, I realized, okay, I would like to get paid for this work. I want to be able to pay my team. Uh, We still have never to date, we have never had an office um, and we all work remotely. Um, So we're still very low cost in many other ways. But nonetheless, we realized, okay, wait a second. If we don't just want to be fundraising forever – uh, we need to start generating our own revenue, and so that was one of the motivations for starting the Edge program. Which, uh, because students pay tuition to take our courses, um, on top of that, we also take a small percentage of donations given to partners. Uh, we take two percent after the first ten thousand dollars to a given partner, and that's another. We only implemented that policy about two years ago. So for the first ten years of Omprakash partners were able to raise money completely free and we basically swallowed the the labor cost of processing those donations because that was part of our charitable mission and now so you know things have changed over time and now we take a little slice of the donations to partners and we we really focus on um, growing the edge program to generate revenue but at the end of the day um... we are both legally a nonprofit, and i would say in terms of where our values are it's not that i have a problem with making money or that I'm opposed to the idea of becoming a for-profit but I would say that we are still very much a value-driven organization and um, there are a lot of things we could have done differently if our main goal was just to sort of chase the dollar signs but we have quite deliberately avoided those options because we have a particular uh, let's say impact vision that we're trying to achieve.
0: That's great. That's very interesting. Um, and. Um So uh, tell me a little bit about the EDGE program then, Willie, and and what is it that volunteers need to learn, or what's the difference between a a good volunteer and a a volunteer that doesn't know very much about what they're doing?
1: Great question. Um, So the standard EDGE program is 12 units long, and we do a ton of customization, and we offer courses of all lengths, but I'll just describe the standard program because I think it, paints a good picture of where our priorities are at, and essentially it, it's sort of a negative um, – uh, sorry, uh, what is the word? <laughs> In a like a photo, um, a uh, – a, a negatives, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, the, the Edge curriculum is essentially an image of what we think uh, – It's a, okay, scratch that. I was trying to say it's a negative image of of a bad volunteer, but we're not going to go there. So, okay, let me describe the standard uh, 12-unit EDGE curriculum. Uh, The first third is about reflecting on your own intentions and starting to develop more self-awareness about some of your own assumptions and biases. So that includes asking questions like, what makes you think that you're qualified to help someone else? What makes you think someone else needs or wants your help? etc? And what comes out of that are a lot of um, recognitions of that the way we often think about the world in terms of developed versus developing and uh, rich versus poor, that there are a lot of stereotypes and assumptions built into that which are frankly untrue and at times quite damaging, and you could even say, um, you know ethnocentric and neocolonial. Um, that's sort of the first third of the course the middle third is focused on understanding the context that we are in and that means understanding something about the last fifty or sixty years of so-called international development policy from an economic standpoint from a political standpoint and from an environmental standpoint among others Uh, and so that's really giving students the some of the big picture contextual knowledge that they need to go and understand what it is that's going on in their particular field location. And then the third element is training students in different research methods, qualitative research methods generally. And we frame it not so much as academic research as storytelling. Your purpose is to go out there and understand other people's stories, ask really good questions, listen really well, and document those stories really well. And so what all of this adds up to is, essentially the message to volunteers that your job is not to go help or to go save people more often than not efforts that are framed as helping and saving end up being paternalistic and ultimately reinforce the exact power dynamics that you are supposedly trying to disrupt so let go of this idea of helping and saving and instead turn the mirror in on yourself start to understand how your own life and your own choices as a voter and a consumer and a citizen are entwined with the lives of others and then think about how you can take more deliberate action throughout your life to make a more just world and what we're what all this adds up to is the message to volunteers that basically your job is not to go and help or to save but it is to go and learn and not just to learn in some vague superficial sense of oh I learned about someone else's culture No, it is to go and learn in a very specific way about the deeper root causes of a given social issue in a given place. And so to to sum it up, if one paradigm of a volunteer is that they come home and they say, oh, I had the best time, I was at this orphanage, or I was at this school or whatever, and yeah, I know I didn't save the world, but hey, at least I made a difference to those kids and they were so cute and it was so sad that they didn't have an education, but I was happy to be able to help and da-da-da. You can extend that narrative. If that's kind of one paradigm, we're sort of going for the opposite, which is someone comes home and rather than just say, oh, I learned about these poor kids who, who needed me so much, they say, you know, I was at this one orphanage or this one school, but in the process, I really learned something about... The broader system of education and the broader sort of flows of money and power and, and ideology that have shaped this particular situation and that have made it so that in this village, some people go to school and some people don't. And I, I learned more about how that inequality is gendered and how it is shaped by national and, and transnational flows of power in which I am involved. Um, so that might seem very heady. But the bigger point is, we're trying to really get students to understand issues in context and to understand that their own lives are related to those issues. And that is a very different thing than someone coming home and just saying, Oh, I saw those poor, desperate people over there, and I feel so sorry for them. So why don't we raise money now to send money and sneakers or whatever over there? I would say that latter uh, mentality is much more common. And I would say that ultimately it risks distracting us from the real root causes of the problems that we face.
0: Right. That's very interesting. That's a very interesting way of looking at it. Um, it seems, Willie, as, as, as you've uh, uh, developed the, the organization, you've gone in, in different directions uh, at the same time. I, I think it sounds like you're pursuing what you, what you believe are interesting, important questions and um following those uh as they uh emerge how i guess the, there's another model of focusing and being very very focused and 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 trying to keep you know build 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 in one particular area. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you thought about that and the decisions? Because at any moment, I guess, for an organization, there are many opportunities you could pursue. Uh, and yet, at the same time, there's only a certain number you can do. Um, presumably, there are uh, other uh, parts of the this sector that you you, you you could have been involved in and thought about as well.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll take that question in two parts. The first is kind of saying... How have we decided when to say no to certain things, I guess? And the other, I suppose, is when have we decided to say yes? And and in a sense, this is two sides of the same coin. But um, you know, I alluded to this earlier, but there is so much money being made right now. And people say it's a two billion dollar per year industry selling volunteer trips in one way or another. And so I can't tell you the number of times that I've talked to people who basically say, hey, Omprakash is a small nonprofit, you're hurting for cash. Why don't you spin off some kind of a product? It would be so easy to do given our network. Why not spin off some kind of a product where we sell a sort of chaperoned group trip for six thousand dollars a ticket and you know run it as a two-week trip with twelve people and do that five times a year, and that'll fund our whole budget. You know, I mean people have suggested that kind of thing to me and the fact is operationally speaking we could do that without like we have all the pieces in place to do that kind of thing but fundamentally on an ethical level and on the level of my colleagues and I saying what what do we actually believe in and what do we want to be putting our energy and our time towards we don't want that and I can go into more reasons of my critique of that model if you want but I think I've already sort of alluded to it And so part of the process for us has been saying, no, even when the market, even when sort of consumer demand is pointing one way, we've had to have the sort of courage or maybe stubbornness or stupidity, but to say, no, we're not just going to, the customer is not always right. And we're not just going to sort of give people what they want, because in this case, what people want is a very often, a short-term, sentimentalized, feel-good, volunteerism opportunity that's not grounded in any real intellectual reflection or authentic relationships. So part of the process has been us saying no, even when there is a revenue opportunity, that, but, but because it doesn't really align with our values and our purpose. Um, but the flip side of that is at other times saying yes, even when um, something might seem a little bit far beyond the reach of what we're already doing but precisely because it does align with our values and so an example of that would be as we've grown the edge program we find that more and more we're building out custom edge programs for other organizations that aren't even connected to our network of partners so in other words when we started edge we imagined that it would just be pre-departure training for our own volunteers that are going to work for our partners And then pretty quickly we realized that a lot of other institutions, especially universities but also other nonprofits, um, they are looking for more robust ways to train volunteers. We are not the first people to realize that having untrained people going abroad thinking they're going to save the world is a real liability. And so all of a sudden we're finding ourselves almost behaving more like a tech company than anyone else, than, than a development company or an education company per se. And we're building out and selling essentially this piece of online learning software. Um, and you know, five years ago, if I had said that to my board or even to myself, "Hey, I think a main revenue engine for Omprakash is going to be selling its own sort of uh, you know customized online learning platform," I probably would have. I wouldn't have even believed myself. You know, so there's something there to be said about. Um, in some cases, saying no to opportunities, even if they do seem really close to what we're doing, but because they're not really aligned with our values, and in other cases, saying yes to, our oppor- to, to opportunities, even if they're a bit of a step away from our core operations, but precisely because they are aligned with our values, which is to say, I love being able to offer educational resources to other organizations that are looking to train their volunteers, because I just think that is so important.
0: That's great. That's a really uh, interesting way of looking at it, Willie. And um, you've been in a, the game uh, quite a quite a, a few years now. Um, what What have you learned about being a social entrepreneur? Do you think that you would you know could pass on to other aspiring social entrepreneurs on their journey?
1: Well, um, in so many ways, I still consider myself very early in the journey and far far from successful. So I don't want to put myself on any pedestal here. Um, I suppose if, like, survival counts as success, then, yeah, we've been successful so far. But, you know, the fact is, to date, um, only about 50% of our budget is funded by earned revenue, and so we are still dependent on donations and grants, and um, I definitely want to grow. When we reach a point where we are self-sustaining on our own earned revenue, and we're earning that revenue in a way that still feels ethically uh, robust... At that point, I'll say, okay, yeah, we've had some success, but for now, I'd say we're still very much, you know, in the journey. Of course. Uh, Having said that, I guess I can offer a few thoughts. Um, You know, the whole space of social entrepreneurship is so full of buzzwords and so full of people who just want to get you excited about the next shiny, flashy thing. Um, And maybe I'm cynical, but I just really, really worry about that. And I worry that the whole sphere of social entrepreneurship and innovation and enterprise and all these hot topics have sort of become a thinly veiled way of promoting a certain market-driven ideology that is quite damaging (laughs) and has been shown to be quite damaging, especially when applied to um, issues of global inequality and poverty you know it's hardly a new thing to observe that neoliberal um, market driven economic reasoning in many cases increases inequality rather than reduces it so that's my first piece of advice or just warning is that this assumption that somehow as a social entrepreneur um, the the core purpose is to find Market-driven solutions to every problem, and that somehow every problem can or should or will be solved by the next sexy app or you know gadget that you're going to sell um, and make a bunch of money from. I just think, in a sense, is totally farcical. Um, so I'm, I'm very skeptical of that. I think if we accommodate a broader definition, where sure, of course, we use market-based mechanisms when we can, but we also recognize that. Um, in many cases we need uh government interventions or we need sort of third sector uh incentives and interventions in order to correct certain social problems i'm comfortable with a broader definition of social entrepreneurship like that but so that's my first point is just not being overly stuck in this sort of obsession with um, um you know oh well you have to run it like a business uh and the market's going to save everything i just think that's somewhat ludicrous to be honest um secondly and very much in line with that is just recognizing that the sort of customer is always right mentality um, is very often wrong (laughs) in my mind Uh, especially when your customers are not necessarily the people that you're supposedly trying to serve and so in other words a lot of these popular well-known models of for example like one for one okay I'm gonna sell a product here and then use the revenue to give something away somewhere else people are very quick to assume oh well hey people are buying it and we're giving x away therefore um, it must be successful you know listen to what the market is telling you and again i just think that's totally backwards because you're in that sense you're confusing um, you know what your investors or your consumers are telling you with what your impact actually is and giving away a certain number of shoes or books or toothbrushes or whatever doesn't amount to impact, especially not if we don't even really know whether those items are wanted or whether they're being used. So I guess that's my second point is just uh, having a, a robust understanding and a critical self-reflection about your own intended impact and your actual impact and not mixing up um, sort of sales with impact, which I think happens all too often in the sort of um, buzzwordy space of social entrepreneurship.
0: It's very thoughtful, Willie. You've touched on some really important points there that um, have come up in other interviews, but I think you've articulated those in a, in a, in a very clear way. And certainly uh, it's food for thought. Your, your point is well taken there, Willie. Um, and, I, and I think it's good ground to, to, to um, really reflect on these issues. So what then is on the horizon for the next few years, Willie? Uh, just finally, uh, what's your vision? Where do you want to get to?
1: Well, for one thing, um, we're really experiencing a lot of exciting growth with the EDGE program, particularly in our university partnerships. So that's a big focus for the next few years. Um, I want to reshape or at least put a, put a big dent in what global engagement looks like at the university level. And I think Om Prakash is very well positioned to have that kind of impact. Uh, I think almost every university that I've visited in the, or spoken to in the last few years, and there have been a lot of them, almost every single one has something in its mission statement or right on the homepage of its website about creating global Learners, global citizens, global impact. There's an increasing attention to sort of uh, the global connectedness and the global reach of higher education. But I think very often there is not a mechanism for building really authentic global partnerships and for enabling students to have really immersive global learning experiences. And Omprakash is really well positioned to do that, to provide that and to provide it in a way that is really customized for each university and really grounded in serious academic work. Uh, And it's not just kind of superficial, um, kind of pat yourself on the back for going somewhere to paint a fence type of work. Um, So that's one really big thing is continuing to grow our footprint in the university space. Um, Another totally different thing, which is very new for us, is we have a new section of our site called Global Dialogue which allows all of our partner organizations to uh, sort of exchange and dialogue with each other, but also with outside experts. And one thing that my colleagues and I are really concerned about is how much uh, international development conversations and research happen in their own little echo chambers of, uh, you know, generally somewhat academic or politicized quote unquote, experts talking about their ideas with each other. And we now have this growing network of, of social impact leaders who are working on the ground around the world, many of whom don't have a college degree or maybe even a high school degree, but they're all experts in their own right. And so we want to increasingly position Om Prakash as a place where a researcher or a policymaker or whatever it may be can go and sort of float their ideas around with other uh, local stakeholders are from around the world, and so we re- are trying to really um, grow that dimension of what we do. And you can imagine that would lead to all kinds of new relationships and and collaborations. Um, and finally, we are pretty excited about our uh, potential as a financial, uh, a, as a a center for fundraising, and, and really as a financial tool for young nonprofits around the world. Uh, all of our partners can use our site for fundraising. It's tax deductible because we're a US-based nonprofit. Um, But in addition to that, we have now enabled BitPay and Bitcoin on our site, for example. Uh, And all of this just amounts to sort of different versions of the same story, which is we're trying to help small um, grassroots social impact organizations use our site to really grow and amplify their impact and their message. And if that means Recruiting interns from around the world, or if that means building relationships with universities or researchers, or if that means uh, being able to, run, to raise money and receive donations via Bitcoin with virtually zero transaction costs, all of that is a huge asset for a small uh, grassroots social impact organization, and they can access all of that simply by having an internet connection and an all partnership.
0: Well, that's a great vision, Willie, and I wish you the very best of success. It's been great talking to you today. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing the work that you've done and and the work that you're doing and and your vision for the future.
1: Verbo, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur podcast. I hope you found this interview inspiring. Please make sure to visit www.inspiringsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.